Hi, I'm Peter Schwing, and welcome to the Stories from the Run podcast and community. This is the show for the everyday runner, all about inspiring and sometimes humorous stories from your fellow runners. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to thank all our supporters for making this podcast possible. If you like what you hear, please slam that subscribe button or sign up on our website, storiesfromtherun.com. You can also join the Facebook community or follow us on Instagram through the links in the show notes. So have you ever felt like you're not really a runner or you don't have a stereotypical runner's body or talent? Do you feel that being a back of the pack runner makes you less of a quote unquote runner? Well, in today's episode, we have Laura Gonzalez, who has completed over 182 marathons and ultra marathons, and she is going to change the way you think about yourself as a runner. We're going to call this one hashtag persistency, hashtag breaking stereotypes. Let's get to it. State your name and any club affiliation, please. My name is Lara Gonzalez, and I am a member of the Marathon Maniacs, the Marathon Globetrotters, and the 50 States Marathon Club. Wow, that is a lot. <laughs> How are you? How was your week? I am fantastic. I'm recovering from my recent race, so I'm feeling good, feeling strong. Mm -hmm. Which race was that? I just ran uh, Brazos Bend in Texas this weekend. Was it a marathon or was it an ultra? It was an ultra. It was a hundred miler. Hundred miler. Okay. So we're going to talk a lot about this. <laughs> For our listeners, you're, you're going to be in for a treat. Lara has done 182 marathons and ultras, and 10 of them were 100 milers. So we are going to get really deep into this. And uh, where, where it comes out, where the people start saying, like, what are you running from? Like at the, <laughs> at the holiday table, it's like, why do you do that? <laughs> yes, I ask them myself. <laughs> I, I think we all do. We, we All of us runners. <laughs> ask ourselves from time to time, why do I do this? Yeah, definitely. So, so, so then how, how long have you been running? I started running officially in 2003. So 15, 16 years ago, mm -hmm. um, I was an older late bloomer, I guess. I was 28 when I started running and I started running because I, you know, I think most of us start because we gain weight. And I figured this is the quickest way to lose weight. And I just became completely addicted to it. Um, but I didn't run my first marathon until, wow, seven years later. So mm -hmm. in that aspect, I was another late bloomer. <laughs> I, I don't know about 28 being a late bloomer so much. <laughs> I, I I didn't start running until my 40s, my early 40s. I mean, I tried. Oh, for I feel years. so much better. Yeah, <laughs> I, I tried for years, and I would do the okay. I'm going to start running, and I'll go June 2nd, and I'll log two miles, and then the next time <laughs> will be June 7th. Great, and then the calendar will be like September 14th. <laughs> And I tried for years, but I, I did a cycle a lot through the 2000s. I would do a lot of the, the 100 mile century rides. So wow. it was something about maybe just changing the sport. But that brings me to like, so in high school, you say you were a late bloomer. Were you active in high school? I did absolutely nothing. If anything, <laughs> I did walk a little bit. I, I used to go to um, school. It was in the middle of town. And the only way to get around was uh, public transportation. So I would 
just walk all over the place. And I guess that was some sort of base. But besides that, once I got my first car that I didn't depend on public transportation, the the walking really kind of died down. Mm -hmm. And that's when the weight gain started. But I was my whole entire life, I would say I was very, very sedentary. Speaking of like high school, uh, where were you born? Where did you grow up? And were you still in high school at that time in that place? I was yeah, I was born in uh, New York, mm-hmm. where I currently live. And then I moved to Puerto Rico when I was five. So I grew up there. Uh, and high school was back in, in Puerto Rico as well. So then when did you come back to New York? I came back to New York in 04, okay. 2004. Yeah. Oh, so you just started running and you came back to New York. Definitely. Oh, yeah, okay. it was very, very recent. Yeah. And what is it like the difference? So if you were running in Puerto Rico, what would you say is the biggest difference between running in Puerto Rico and running in New York City? Um, I think for the most part, this is kind of funny. I, it's really warm and humid in Puerto Rico. So I remember recently moving to New York, my friends making fun of me because I was like, it's 50 degrees. It's too cold to run outside. (laughs) And they were like, that is perfect running weather. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that was the first adjustment, just adjusting to quote unquote cold weather. Um, But I think the most difficult uh, thing about running in Puerto Rico is definitely the weather. It's it gets very hot down mm-hmm. there. And for extended periods of time. I mean, New York, oh, we, yeah. we, we do have our nasty summer heat waves and humidity, yes. but I can just imagine it's nothing compared to Puerto Rico, which has a lot longer of a season. But going back to like the coldness, <laughs> just the other day, my friend was like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to go out because it's going to be like 23 degrees. I'm like, that's perfect <laughs> running weather. I know. <laughs> it is. It so is. It's, it's just amazing what the body gets used to. Um, now I go back to visit. I, I was just back home in, I believe it was September and it's not really that hot anymore, but I was like, I, who can run in this weather? I said, you can die. You can have a stroke. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's amazing what the body just gets used to. Right. Yeah. And it, and it takes acclimation uh, yeah. because earlier this year when New York Roadrunners had the Brooklyn half and we would say, oh, it was only 62 degrees, but there were a lot of people affected by that heat. And there were a lot of people in more so than usual in the medical tents. And some people were dehydrated. And because it was the first real warm day of the season. So your body hasn't had time to acclimate to that temperature change. And you don't even think about it because if you're racing, you're going out hard. Mm -hmm. So you're not even thinking about it. And also that Brooklyn half, you're just going straight down six and a half miles down Ocean Parkway and it's flat and there's no coverage and it, you're, you're really just open to the elements there at that time. Wow. Yeah, yeah. it was a little bit humid. So let's find out a little bit more interesting non-running stuff about you. All right. Let's mm-hmm. see. I um, I am an HR manager for mm-hmm. an internet food company and uh, my all my days are spent just talking to employees and being very much a, a psychologist, a mother hen to my employees. So I listen to a lot of complaints. Um, that's a big chunk of my time. So running definitely helps kind of uh, process all that information. Um, also, I am a pinup model and I'm also a burlesque performer. Oh, this is really interesting. 
<laughs> what, what's that burlesque place down the in the Lower East Side? Um, Is it um, Nurse Betty? There, there's Nurse Betty, and there's 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 another venue over there. Uh, it starts with an S, I think. Slipper Room. Yes, Slipper Room. Yes. yes, yeah. I really I really enjoy that place. It, it's such it's a it's a wonderful place. Great performances they have there. Yeah, I love it. It's very very um, throwback. Mm-hmm. Very. Um, Old school. Yeah. Very good. So <laughs> so one of the things that you, you mentioned is you're talking about breaking stereotypes and what a runner looks like and how they should perform. And you were saying that you, you gained weight and then you used running to lose that weight. Mm-hmm. And what you were saying is that you're kind of the a very unlikely runner because you don't have a runner's body or talent, but it comes down to persistency. And when we talk about persistency, so one anecdote is what is it that a runner should look like? Somebody I knew was asking me those silly questions about, oh, you run marathons. And, you know, luckily they didn't ask how far the marathon was. Then he said, well, what was your time? And I told him and he said, I don't know what that means. And then Mm -hmm, his mm -hmm. follow up was, well, it's really interesting because you don't look like a runner. Mm -hmm. And I just said, I go, what exactly should a runner look like? So tell us about like what you why you feel that way. So I think a lot of people, when they think of a runner, they think of the people that are very, very much at the front of the pack. Mm -hmm. They're thin, they're lean, they have long legs and they're really, really gazelle fast. Right. And I am none of those. I am tiny. I'm only five, three. I have short legs and I'm nowhere near skinny. I'm very um, uh, curvy, you could say. <laughs> so whenever I tell someone and, and the funny thing, I always get the the up down look when I say, yes, I'm a runner. And they're like, oh, OK. And I get the look. And then they're like, so five Ks. And I'm like, no, uh, marathons, ultras. <laughs> I've run a bunch of 100 milers. Uh, so yeah, I, I feel, and also I'm a back of the packer. I am not nowhere near fast. I'm not, I'm not fast. I'm not going to break any records, but what I like to say is I'm very, very persistent. So it may take me a little bit longer to get to that finish line, but I will get to the finish line. So I, 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 a funny story a while ago, I don't know if you know who, um, the oatmeal is, Mm -hmm. he wrote a book about running. So I think it was my third hundred miler that he was going to be at Comic-Con. And I was so inspired by his book because I I feel like um, the blurch is my the creature that (laughs) follows me around and because I really want to eat. All I want to do is eat. So the blurch is that voice in my head telling me, come on, just lay down, just just have another snack. So I was very inspired by his book. And I I got the buckle, thankfully, for Oil Creek. Mm-hmm. And I went to Comic-Con and I, I showed him my buckle. I'm like, I just wanted to show you this. And he looked me up and down and he's like, that's funny. You don't look like a runner. Oh. <laughs> wow. And I, I just died. I loved it. I loved mm-hmm. that moment because you know what? I don't. And it's fine. And it doesn't <laughs> matter. And, and this is such a really important concept for people to understand because there are so many people that have this fear of or they're hesitant 
about getting out the door. They are hesitant to join a running club. And there are so many run clubs out there. And yes, some are fast, some are distance, and some are for all abilities. And people are nervous about joining and they have anxiety and they're not feeling good about themselves. And this is so important that they need yes. to understand. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what speed you go. If you're out there and if it's helping you be healthy, it's helping you mentally, physically, if you're happy, then forget about all those other people that are saying, you don't look like you're a runner. And then you can just stick your middle finger up at them as you're walking <laughs> away with your belt buckle from a hundred miler and crushing <laughs> 182 marathons and ultras. It's narrow mindedness from those people. And it's something that we can overcome. And then we go run and we laugh about it. And, yeah, for and, sure. <laughs> I mean, I think that should be your motivation, right? Because you're breaking that stereotype. You're demonstrating that there's not only one cookie cutter shape for a runner and you can do whatever you put your mind to. I mean, nobody else should define you and should tell you what you should do and what should, you should look like. It's mm -hmm. whatever you want to do. Yeah. If it makes you happy, if you go out and you run a mile and you feel good about it, you did a mile. If you go out and run five, you run 10, it doesn't matter. You're doing something for yourself. Exactly. And, right. So let's talk about some of your races. Let's find out what your worst race was. I think my worst race, I can't remember what year it was, but it was in the Austin Marathon. Mm -hmm. I was that's back when I, I was really, really early into my uh, 50 state uh, marathon journey. And I, it might have been, no, it, it was my 10th marathon, I believe. And my 10th state, I should say. Mm -hmm. And I got really sick. I think it was one or two days before the race. And I really, really don't recommend this to anybody. I think I had bronchitis because I just felt like I was breathing fire. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely horrible. And I had to walk the entire thing. Mm. And I will never in my life do that to myself ever again. If you're sick, rest. Don't push yourself. It, there's no point. There will always be another marathon. <laughs> that is very wise, sage advice, because your brain at, at times will tell you, you know, you don't have to do this. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you you could listen to your brain. I, I just DNF'd my first race ever uh, this past weekend. Oh, I had like an, in, an injury and mm -hmm. my foot was just real. It was like every time I hit the ground, I could feel my body Ooh. was off and it was just pain. And after I did the first lap, I just came across the finish and I just pulled over to the side and showed the cut symbol. And they were like, are you okay? Do you need help? I'm like, nope. I just, I feel something. It's not right. And I don't want to aggravate. And they're like, that is a great decision. Yeah. And that's something that people also really need to take away is you don't have to do it if you're not feeling Absolutely. Good. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't push it because it's it most likely you you're probably going to cost something that's going to be way mm -hmm. uh it's going to last way longer so just rest this one out and there will always be another race for Ex sure exactly and but it's so tough for us i mean yes. <laughs> you know I, i've taken this entire week off and i really should stay off my feet until sunday but i'm contemplating four miles tomorrow and <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little back and forth so let's flip the script and go to what would you consider that is is your best race? 
My best race was uh, the New Jersey Marathon. I forget which year, but I ran my fastest time, which a lot of people listening to this will think, oh my gosh, I do that on a Tuesday. <laughs> but it was a 423. <laughs> yeah, That's been my fantastic. best time. And I am very far away from 423, mm-hmm. but that, w- that was a good race. That was a good day. <laughs> you also mentioned in terms of fun, the TGNY, which is the Great New York 100 miler and 100 yes. uh, kilometer. Tell us a little about that one because I haven't run it, but I've heard about it. And it seems like there's hundreds of people that show up in Times Square and then mm-hmm. find a hundred miles to run in New York City. It's the best race in the, the entire world. <laughs> the best. Highly recommend it. Uh, so the race starts in Times Square at five o'clock in the morning. And that's usually, I believe it's the last weekend in June, if not the second to last. And you start at Times Square and you go through the I, four boroughs because you don't hit Staten Island, but you go all out and you it's a point to point race and you go uh, to Queens and Brooklyn and then you you finish back in Times Square. And it's just it, I feel like it's um like a treasure hunt because you're following these uh, instructions that you get on a piece of paper and you're following just little signs on the ground and you have to make sure that you don't miss any, you can't miss a turn. If you do, you have to backtrack and go back to where you were before you Mm -hmm. got lost. It's just, it's, and the support is just incredible. I mean, the volunteers are the best in the world. They, out of their own pocket, they fill those um, eight stations. And they ask before the race, they ask, what do you want in the eight station? And they just get it for you. And it's just incredible. I, I That's my favorite race. I've done it three times. And unfortunately, this year, it's getting very popular. And probably I shouldn't be promoting it right now. <laughs> But um, it's, this is the first year that uh, it started a lottery. So the lottery will be drawn this Sunday, I believe. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that I get in because it's just, it's my favorite. Oh, hands down. That's, that's great. There's one that I'm going to have as a, another guest. He founded, it's called the Warrior Ultra that follows the path of the warriors from the movie. And it starts in Van Cortlandt Park at one in the morning and you have to make your way down to Coney Island. There's no set route. You pick your own. And so it can range between 26 or 29 miles, depending on which you bridge or which route you take. And that one is, is the first year I did it as a group and already people are talking about it for next year. So I almost don't want to promote that either. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm interested. But yeah. Oh, people dress up in costume like in the movie and it's a real fun run. While you're starting in Times Square at five in the morning, we are running through Times Square at four in the morning and it's just chaos. So you, that's you, amazing. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So I'll, I'll send you more information on that. And we're, we're going we're gonna to have uh, Todd as a guest in the, in the next few weeks as well. Let, let's talk about training for an ultra. And staying injury free, it almost seems like you're doing one to two a month. Yes. So injury free, I've been pretty lucky. I I did have one very serious injury. It was in 2014, but I, I don't know if I if anything that I did. It was a freak accident. I was running in Oregon in a trail, and Oregon is very wet, mm-hmm. and that was no different that day. It's actually called a mud run, so I should have known going into mm-hmm. it. And I, the funny thing is, everybody was running really fast, and I was like 
nervous about the mud. And I was like, you know what? They look like they know what they're doing. So I'm going to speed up. And the moment I had that thought, I slipped in the mud. My foot got stuck and I broke my ankle. So that is my most serious injury. It was awful. Um, I was off my feet for, I think it was three months. I had a boot. And even with the boot, and I, again, don't do as I do, do as I say. <laughs> Even with the boot, I was getting on the elliptical, which my doctor okayed it. I don't know if that was the best decision, but I was like, I have to do something. Um, but after that, I think I listen to my body a lot. And if something doesn't feel right, I immediately rest. Um, and there's always those little teeny weeny pains that you're like, okay, I can run through this. Um, and I've been very fortunate that I haven't had an injury that's, you know, destroyed my running for a long, long period of time besides that ankle. Uh, The one thing that I have had persistently for many, many years is planter with, I think we all do. That's Mm -hmm. just the runner's vampire's bite. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I, I I suffered for about a year and a half. It it was terrible. And I found out going to uh, a PT, it was my calves and it was actually, I was, Mm -hmm. it was because I was dropping my right hip. They did a gait analysis and they showed me the video and, and what I was doing, I was dropping my right hip. My left calf was taking extra force and it was Mm. tight, tightening up and pulling on my planters. Once I fixed that form, it was gone in two weeks. Nice. Yeah. And that's why roll foam rolling, stretching, seeing a PT, definitely get that checked out. And so many times it's a minor adjustment. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I agree. With so many of these distance runs, do you follow a particular training plan? How many miles are you running week on average? It depends. For this last hundred mile, I... I'll be honest, I wasn't training a whole lot because this was my fourth. Um, I did a tunnel hill a month before, and I'll tell you about that later. But this was my fourth hundred and it can get exhausting. Training for a hundred miler really, really takes a lot out of your life. And I the first six months I was training for TGNY and It was really hard to train the second half of the year because I was like, you know what? I want to go out with my friends and I want to sleep in on a Sunday and not have to run. So I kind of played it by ear and I think it worked. I mean, I think I would have been a little bit faster at the finish than I was at this last race, but I got to the finish. And I think it's super important also that you don't always have to follow a training plan to the T. Mm-hmm. You can adjust it. I mean, you do have to put in your long runs because that is, of course, it's important. But if you don't feel well or if you are a little tired, then that's okay to take a day off. Like it's not going to kill you. So I loosely follow a training mm-hmm. plan. My training plan is pretty much just showing up for the next race, <laughs> which I don't recommend. <laughs> but, but I think you might have enough experience that kind of have it in the bag a little bit. You've hit a, a threshold where you are at a certain level each time. So it's not like you're going for your first 50 miler and you're trying to follow that training plan, you kind of have that mindset and the the physical endurance is already built into the the muscle memory and everything. So it helps you can ramp up a little bit better. I want to go back because there's so many things I want to like talk about. Like (laughs) you, you mentioned you're on your 10th state and you've done 50 states and then some. 
Yes, I'm on my second round. I'm on state 38 on round two. So many people just said either why or that's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to be why and that's amazing. <laughs> I, I would love to do 50 states. I would love to do the, the continents. You're looking to do the continents as well, right? I am. Mm. I have three more to go. I have Africa, Antarctica, and South America, mm. and I should be done. And I've been told also that New Zealand may become the eighth continent, so I'm going to throw it in just to make sure that they're all covered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw that. And I also saw that Abbott's is also, I think, considering adding a seventh major marathon. Oh, so, yeah. awesome. Yeah. So you have a lot to look forward to. They're, they're going to keep- Yeah, definitely. Be, because of people like you, they're going to keep moving the bar. They're going to keep uh, raising yeah, the Yeah, that's bar. for sure. <laughs> yeah, and you're, you're also a Marathon Maniac member. So for people uh, out there, they, there's a group, it's called Marathon Maniacs. Minimum requirement is something like three marathons inside of 60 days, mm-hmm. and you can become a member. And your membership is the titanium level. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, what kind of perks does that come with? <laughs> Absolutely none. None. (laughs) Just bragging rights. That's about it. (laughs) Yeah, so um, titanium is the 10-star status. And it basically, there's different categories. It's 30 states in a year or 52 marathons in 52 weeks. And there's different um, categories for it. So I qualified via the 30 30 states in one year. I'm just trying to wrap my head around going into training for my first 50 miler in <laughs> in May. So I'm looking at the North Face Endurance Challenge. Have you done that one up in upstate New York? Oh, yes, I have. You're in for a doozy. Oh, okay. I was just <laughs> going to ask for some tips, and but I'm in for a doozy. Okay, so fill us in. So what the other thing that people say, like, oh, I ran an ultra, and it is such a different world when you're doing trail ultras in the mountains. There, there are times you can't run because it is so steep. So if anybody's ever hiked, mm-hmm. I mean, this is these are the trails that people are hiking on, and you just have to power hike up there. And and the one thing yeah. I found out, I learned right away is sometimes you have to remind yourself to start running again. Yes, absolutely. There will be a point where you're like, hey, if you want to finish this at some point, you're going to have to start to run. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, it depends on the on the course, right? This Mm -hmm. one that you chose, which is a great first 50. uh, It's it's a it's gorgeous. It's absolutely beautiful. But there's a lot of up and down and there's some scrambling involved, Mm -hmm. too, which makes it just nice and fun. Oh, I like that. That's that's a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah. So scrambling is you basically are on your hands and knees or feet. You have to keep three points of contact and you're going up a rock ledge and you're Mm -hmm. trying to climb over. So there's definitely no running involved. But there is no running. (laughs) (laughs) What what would you say was your most challenging that you've done, uh, like elevation wise or or even kind of with like rock scrambling? I think my most and I, I can't remember the elevation, but 
I am not- notorious for just signing up for races and not looking up the course or the elevation or anything, which again, don't recommend to anyone. <laughs> um, this was my first round of the States and I signed up for a marathon in California because it just fit my schedule. And I was like, oh, perfect. I found the marathon for that weekend. And I showed up and there you had to... Uh, carpool with other runners to the start. And I remember I was in a car with four of the runners and someone was saying something about the course. And I was like, oh, don't worry. It's it's flat. And they all turned around and looked at me and they were like, <laughs> no, it's not. I should have known what I was getting myself into. That marathon, it's Mount Diablo in California. It's uh, the Devil's near Mountain. San Francisco. Yes. <laughs> and it was a hike. There was absolutely zero running. It was, I think the first 13 miles were just up and up and up and up in a mountain. It got to the point where at that point, I'm an island girl. I came from Puerto Rico. I have no idea what elevation is. Mm-hmm. I was getting the worst headache. And I think later that year, I learned that that was elevation that I couldn't breathe and Mm. that I was getting a headache. (laughs) I didn't know. I was like, why do I have this headache? And um, yeah, I remember I couldn't walk the day after. It was absolutely incredibly painful. But I think that has been my toughest one. And that was a marathon. Oh, really? Yes. It took me nine hours. And I was in my best shape. So now I don't think I would be able to finish it. Wow. And that's actually very important because altitude sickness is a serious yes. issue. And that's Trust what, me. <laughs> especially if you go into like the Midwest or Colorado, Utah, or any of those races where the runners come in a week ahead of time to acclimate. Yeah. So for people who are looking into doing anything like that in different states, definitely look at just the elevation. Yes. Yeah. So look, Highly look, look, recommend at, look it. at the course. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> Uh, have you had any stories where you've gotten lost in, in uh, one of the races? I am very fortunate. I think this is one of the best benefits of being a slow back of the pack runner is that I'm going so slow, I can't miss a turn. And I have missed one here and there, but I've never gotten lost like uh, David Goggins that got lost. I think it was three miles or something mm-hmm. on, on Tahoe this year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's not me. I am very slow and I make sure that I see all the turns. And if it's been too long and I haven't been, I haven't seen a ribbon or anything then I turn back to where I came from. So that's one of the few benefits of being a back of the pack runner. <laughs> On the flip side is there was that one race where some disgruntled local started pulling all the stakes out of the ground. Yes, that happens quite often, mm-hmm. which is really sad. I don't understand the reasoning behind that, but yeah. That does happen. I mean, taking, hey, kid, stay off my lawn to a whole different extreme. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. I mean, you you could potentially put someone in danger. They, they could take a wrong turn and go down a cliff. Like, that's not okay. <laughs> very much so. Or if they get lost. If it's a hot day, they get lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're, if you're thinking you're a mile or two from an aid station and you can rehydrate and you yes. make a wrong turn, next thing you know, you're in the woods. You may not have cell mm-hmm. reception. So please don't do that. Not Don't like, do not, that. Not like they will be listening to this podcast, <laughs> but you know we can just go spread the word. Uh, you, yes. ma- you, you mentioned Tunnel Hill. You brought that up. So let's go back to that. I wanted to hear your story about Tunnel Hill. So Tunnel Hill is a sob story, self-created. I, I went there and I, unfortunately, this is something that's really, really bad. And I don't like when races do it, although sometimes it's beneficial. 
it's one of those races where as long as you reach 50 miles, you get a buckle. So it was really, really cold. I got to mile 76 and I was feeling up to mile about 73. I was feeling really good and really strong, but I was getting colder and colder yeah. and colder and colder. And I was already at the point where you're uncomfortable, your feet hurt, and you have to go through the start finish where your car is right there. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, you know, if I stop now, it's not a DNF. I can go to my car. I can be warm. I can stop stop the suffering. So that's unfortunately what I did, which I hate myself. And please, people, you will go through really, really low points in a hundred miler, but you will come back out and DNFing. I I mean, it wasn't a DNF, but stopping when you know you could have continued will torture you forever Mm because now I'm going to sign up because I have to finish that. I can't accept that I dropped. (laughs) Let's talk about that mental aspect of it. Is there anything that you do to help break through those barriers when your brain's saying, just stop? Oh my gosh, that is the most difficult part. Uh, In particular, this race that I did this weekend at Brussels Bend, I was by myself. I didn't have any pacers. I didn't have crew. I was all by myself. So I got, I really, really tested the limits of that. Um, I started, I listen to a lot of podcasts, whatever distracts mm-hmm. me from whatever it is that I'm doing. And this time, I think it was around mile 90, I was already done. I was like, I am done with this pain. I want to finish. But I knew it was the last race of the decade. So I had mm-hmm. to push through. That was my motivation. So I just started counting just counting my steps and then starting from zero and then started counting my steps again, whatever it was. And then started to, this, this is not pain. You're not feeling pain. Just continue to walk. You're just concentrating in the pain. Stop thinking about the pain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just talking to myself like a crazy person, basically. (laughs) It's And when when you start talking to yourself out loud, that's when it really gets (laughs) mental. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. And it's funny because there were other runners in the court on the course and I kind of tried to get close to them just to have someone talk to me. (laughs) They must have been like, oh, my God, lady, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Get away from me. (laughs) Right. And because you're not seeing people, you might not see people for miles. Yes. Yeah, once absolutely. you spread out. And I was, I was did a, the, a, the recent 50K I did. It ended up being, it was a three loops. But once we got into our second loop, the pack was all spread out. You you would start the loop with somebody, maybe because the aid station was there, and then you wouldn't see it, anybody again until you got to the aid station the second time. And you would start with runners again, and you kind of chit chat a little bit. And then as you're in like the nice flat, grassy field, and then you're just <laughs> looking up at the mountain that you have to go scale once. Once again, for another 4,000 feet over four miles. So, so you're like, hey, I'll see you later. And you get to that point. It's like, you know, why am I doing this? And then you realize oh. I can't walk out of here because it's not like getting off and going to a subway or going into your car. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I had a, a similar situation. Like you said, at least you had the mountain to look up to, I was doing um, Prairie Spirit, Spirit in Kansas in March, and that is flat as pancake. And you, it just straight all the way, and it's a out and back loop. And 
I could see for miles and miles and miles to in front of me and back of me and I could not see oh. a soul. I have not felt so alone in my entire life. <laughs> so at least you had the mountain to look up to. <laughs> right, right. I had I had another hill. I'm like, I recognize this hill. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. See, at least you had that. <laughs> there, there's a tree. I recognize this tree. <laughs> What I like to say is, this is the last time I'm going to look at you, Tree. I'm not going to see you again. Well, you mentioned David Goggins. And at that time, I was reading his book. I actually had to channel Goggins. I think I did blurt it out at some point, but that was like my last like few miles. Because in his book, he always talks about, come on, Goggins, come on, Goggins. Like, don't be, you know, it's like, come on. And then I actually, instead of saying, come on, Peter, come on. I just started saying, come on, Goggins, come on, Goggins. <laughs> hey, whatever works. Exactly. Whatever works. Works. I'm like, I am, I am literally losing my mind, but, but it did get me through because I was like, I have seven more miles of going up this hill. I just don't want to do it anymore. Ugh. That just, yeah. I, the things we do, just the things we, the things we pay for, right? right. We pay to be tortured. <laughs> what would you want to like, say it's like, you know, kind of parting words to the listeners, things that you've learned suggestions that you have for people that don't feel comfortable in their own skin, want to go out there, get their first miles in or go do a hundred miler? I think you can do whatever you set your mind to. Don't let mm -hmm. other people's perceptions or ideas stop you from what you want to do. If you want to run a hundred, then you can run a hundred. If you want to run two miles, you can run two miles. Just do whatever makes you happy. It doesn't matter what you look like. You may be a little bit slower than the next person, but it doesn't make you less of a runner. You are you are the best person you can be and just do what makes you happy. Don't worry about what other people are thinking. I think that's the most important thing. I have nothing to add to that. That was fantastic. <laughs> uh, Lara, once again, I mean, this was great. I hope we get to run sometime together somewhere in the city or up in the mountains. Uh, you know, I, I do hope we connect at some point. You're an inspiration. Uh, you're an inspiration to me as a person that is now getting into ultras. And my goal, you know, after I finished that 50K, I said, all right, next one's a 50 miler and I'm going Absolutely. for it. Absolutely. And then I said, all right, the 100 kilometer, then the 100 miler. And then <laughs> <laughs> and these guys are, they're all ultra runners and they're, and they're like, Hey, you know, you don't have to do all of the distances. <laughs> I'm like, yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, Go for it. I'm like, why wouldn't you? <laughs> exactly. Why not? I'll be, and I'll, you know what? The, the only thing is that now the hundreds are the new marathons. Mm -hmm. So now 200 milers are the new thing. I don't think I'll go out. <laughs> ever go there. I think that's a little bit too much for me. <laughs> right. And, and I'm not even going to bring up that in the ultra community, that 50 kilometers is not an ultra. That's a whole different conversation. <laughs> it's a baby ultra. It's a baby ultra. It's a, it's a, it's a baby ultra. <laughs> oh, wonderful. So we're going to leave it with that, a baby ultra. So fantastic. Thank you so much. I wish you all the best. Have a wonderful end of year going into 2020. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. Likewise. Right. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's it for this week. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and feel free to share with your fellow runners. If you'd like to be a guest on our program, you can apply on our website, storiesfromtherun.com because every runner has a story. 
we'd like to hear yours. Until next time, may the rain stay in Spain and the wind be at your backs. Peace.